Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode of Double Take, we discuss the launch of Disney+, Plus, Robert Freeman's Beatle album covers, and the new Modern Baseball Hall of Fame ballad. Join us on Double Take. Okay, uh, this is Kirk Weber. Welcome to our 10th episode of Double Take. Um, we're in double digits, uh, so that's pretty exciting, right, Kevin? That sure is. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have, uh, you know, our primarily primarily what you're going to hear today is stuff on the Modern Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, after the break, we'll get to that. Um, so, th- you know, we just want to do a little intro talk to people a little bit about what what's coming up in the next week. One thing that I'm excited about that I would like to maybe um, over the next week, if we can get any feedback from listeners, it'd be great is on this launch of Disney plus on the 12th, which is this Tuesday to us. Um, this is huge. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a massive sure is. Um, thing, you know what I mean? Like where television programming has come and how it's gone to the streaming services is gigantic I don't think Disney Plus is made for everyone. Like, you know, we talked to our mom, who's a cord cutter like I am. Um, and she's probably not a Disney Plus person because she's not necessarily big in the Disney or Marvel and those sorts of things. But for us and for a lot of people who are huge in the Marvel, huge in the Star Wars, this is big. So what are you looking forward to with this coming out? Well, obviously, The Mandalorians is number one. I'm very, very excited about that. I'll probably just binge yeah. that show for sure. But they have several other shows that I'm, you know, very interested in. Um, you know, Star Wars related stuff. I'm looking forward to the, the, uh, the Clone Wars. They're going to have a final kind of season of that, from what I hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just talking about what's coming. Yeah, the ori- right away. kind of the original. I, mean, I know content. there's other Star Wars stuff, but yeah, right. just what they have right now. Um, I like all the Marvel stuff. I, I certainly, you know, the Falcon and, and Winter Soldier is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hero Project is going to be interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. I think I the what like, if the what if um, like if things change in the Marvel universe, I think that could be a very interesting show. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I'm going to like Loki um, yeah, or not yeah. or WandaVision. I mean, I'll give but, it a try. I'll but it a I'll try. try it out. Yeah, yeah, you bet I will. You know, and I I know some people like you know my daughter will probably be like, hey, can I check out High School Musical the series? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and my daughter that, wants to watch that too. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, there's all too. sorts of things. There's also like a Frozen thing or something, mm-hmm. making a Frozen two or something. So yeah, it, the world it, according to Jeff Gold Goldblum might be very interesting too. I might have to check that out because he's an interesting dude. So you know, right. we'll see. Yep. So it it should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. That probably will be something where we have takes on that. And if other people have takes on Disney Plus's, um, you know, start, um, please, um, you know, email us at doubletakecast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail under 60 seconds is normally how it goes on, um, you know, Anch- the Anchor app. You have to have, you know, a, a little account, but it's free. And we would love to hear what other people have to say, what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you're looking forward to, those sorts of things. Yeah, just give us a plug on what show you like best and why, and we'd we'd be happy to use that on the show. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so after the break, we're going to come back and do a quick uh, on the spot. I put you on the spot, and then we will get into some Baseball Hall of Fame talk. 
All right, well, welcome back. Uh, we have a quick on the spot with Kevin, and the topic is uh, related to a recent death. Um, Robert Freeman, who was a longtime photographer of the Beatles, passed away uh, just a couple days ago now, on November 7th at eight, the age of 82. Um, and he had been sick for a little while, but, you know, he, he, he is known for uh, iconic um, images that became Beatle album covers, and there's five of them. In order, it would be with the Beatles and A Hard Day's Night and Beatles for Sale and Help and Rubber Soul. So, you know, with the Beatles is the one where it's uh, basically a black and white photo with their heads there, and they have, like, black turtlenecks on. And uh, Hard Day's Night has a bunch of square images of them kind of almost in a photo booth kind of look. Beatles for Sale, is, it's in color, uh, but they look very worn out and ragged, probably from all the touring and Beatlemania. Help is where they have their arms kind of positioned in different ways, spelling out help. And then Rubber Soul is that fisheye lens kind of kind of cool look. Um, so those are all, you know, uh, related to, you know, Robert Freeman. Um, so my on-the-spot question for you is, you know, those five covers, uh, which one do you like the best or how would you rank them? What, what are your thoughts on, on those just to talk about it? Number five, I mean, and I like all these covers. I think they're all good covers, you know. Um, they're not necessarily my all-time favorite covers. I mean, I, I might, I probably would go with Revolver first and then maybe Pep, Pepper uh, next. But um, uh, I guess number five would be um, Beatles for Sale. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a nice-looking photo, but they really do look very worn out from all the touring and the Beatlemania, and it's, you know, it doesn't really stand out too much for me. I mean, it's not a bad cover, but nothing real special. And then number four would be um, Hard Day's Night. I, I like that cover. It's kind of cool. Maybe a little busy at times, yeah. though, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and we're talking the, um, the, the British version um, of the cover. I know the American one, I think, is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always talking the British versions of things, by the way, when it comes to Beatles. Yeah. And then I guess um, number three would have to be um, Help. Okay. I think it's a cool cover. I mean, I've never really seen anything like that. I know some people have tried to mimic that, and you know, later on, but it's it's pretty cool, mm-hmm. um, different. And then um, number two would be Rubber Soul. It's definitely got that kind of psychedelic thing that's starting up at that time going. Um, it's a cool angle. Just you know, the the um, the tight face of Rubber Soul on it's pretty pretty cool. Yep. I mean, it's it's a neat cover. It looks very mid sixties. And then obviously that leads my the number one out of that group would be with the Beatles. I've always liked that. I think it looks so cool with the shadows on their face and and you know they they just um, they still look like they've got that that energy and that drive that they had at that point. You know, like late '63. That's when that was taken, and they're in the British Beatlemania at that point, but um, ready to conquer the world. So I think that's a really cool cover. So that's how I drink. Yeah, I, I, I like your uh, rankings, and I agree with you with, with the Beatles. I think out of all five of those, that would be the one that probably would be my number one as well. Um, and, and I do, I, you know, I, you, you can have reasons to like all of them, but it could be a good, good topic, a uh, good section that we could do uh, some other time when we uh, want to talk Beatles is uh, album covers. Um, you know, there's other fun things, especially, you know, you got Abbey Road and Revolver and... Uh, uh, you know, you know, good ones that are there. So, um, good stuff. And, uh, next week, you know, hopefully you can come up with something, uh, to do an on the spot and we'll have some more fun with that. Sure. If uh, anybody wants to give us any feedback on what they, uh, let think on those uh, album covers, feel free to, 
reply to us, you know, uh, on Facebook or Twitter at Double Take Cast, um, or email us at uh, Double Take Feedback at gmail.com, um, or leave us a voicemail on the Anchor app. Uh, any of those would work. Yep. All right. So uh, next up, right after this break, we'll get into some Hall of Fame baseball talk. Looking forward to that. Yes. So on November 4th, the Baseball Hall of Fame Modern Era Committee uh, released its ballot for the um, 2020 inductions. Uh, Ten players on this ballot. In alphabetical order, they are Dwight Evans, Steve Garvey, Tommy John, Don Mattingly, Marvin Miller, Thurman Munson, Dale Murphy, Dave Parker, Ted Simmons, and Lou Whitaker. So um, Kirk and I are both very excited about this ballot for one reason in particular. What would that be, Kirk? That would be Lou Whitaker. Lou. <laughs> yes. So we, we've we been waiting for this moment for a long time. Um, much, much deserving. We'll talk more about that in a second. So um, this this ballot um, is voted upon by 16 uh, Hall of Famers, and they get to vote for up to five players. So um, if, you know, mathematically, that means that a total of up to four could get into the Hall of Fame. Doesn't mean they will, but four could, and they got to get seventy-five percent um, vote on the ballots. They got to be on seventy-five percent of the ballots. Uh, they're going to do that, and then it's going to be released on December eighth uh, at the winter meetings, like it normally is. And we'll find out who's going to be joining this another big class, I assume, here in the Hall of Fame um, this coming summer. So um, we're going to tell you who our five are and then talk about those and also the five that we didn't pick for whatever reasons. And I, I, I think Kirk might agree. Um, I, I have five clear players in, in, or five clear people. And the other ones, I, I have a good reason not to pick them. I, I, I wouldn't pick them um, even mm-hmm. if you know, there was somebody else. So there's some people that aren't on here that I would have liked to see. Like I, I'd like to see Bobby Gritch on here. Um, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I can see why um, if they got to pick uh, a second baseman, um, they're going to, you know, I, I guess I do see two first basemen, Garvey and Mattingly, but, um, and two catchers. I guess they could have put two first or second basemen on there too. But anyway, Bobby Grish deserves to be on there. I hope he's on a ballot coming up soon. He, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame before he dies. Yeah. So anyway, let's go with uh, what five people would you pick from this this modern era ballot, Kirk? Mine would be, my number one pick would be Lou Whitaker, who I think is well-deserved. And the reason he, along with my second pick, um, I think have just been slighted and have always been Hall of Famers. I don't think it's like changed. I think it's just been one of those things where they didn't get enough votes. They got dropped from the ballot. And it's just always just kind of been a raw deal. But I would go Lou Whitaker uh, at second base, catcher Ted Simmons. I would go with... um, Marvin Miller, who I really believe deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'll kind of give some reasons for that. Uh, catcher Thurman Munson, and uh, outfielder, right fielder Dwight Evans. Those would be mine. And those, those are exactly who I would pick too. And we did not talk about this beforehand because I think we both wanted to see differences. But right. those are exactly the players I would pick, and almost in that exact order as well. Um, so we did not pick Steve Garvey and we did not pick Tommy John and we didn't pick Don Mattingly or Dale Murphy or Dave Parker. Um, any, any of those players stick out to you why you think they are not a Hall of Famer, Kirk? What do you think? 
Well, um, I, I think that first base is a tough position to get in at, okay? And um, I think that there are other people that are maybe more deserving than these two, you know, with Steve Garvey and Don Mattingly. I believe Keith Hernandez is more of a Hall of Famer than I those two. He and should be why, on this ballot. Yep. He should he should be on this ballot, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, maybe it's something to do with you know drug use or something. I don't know, but like there's Cocaine, all sorts. Yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you're looking at just the numbers, and you can look at the old school type numbers, you can look at war and all that sort of stuff. Um, if you start looking at the top, I don't know, um, fifty war first baseman of all time, Don Mattingly is like fortieth. I mean, Norm Cash is 33rd, you yes, know? Yes, um, yes, you know, there are, had a better career than Maddie yeah, did. you know, and so you'll, I mean, Keith Hernandez. And I know some t- Yankee fans might be thinking we're crazy, but okay, you know what? I would take, I, I really might just take the um, 1961 season over any season of Maddie. Oh, yeah. He's just as good, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Uh, so he had that super year like that. Um, you know, Maddie was good for like three years in a row he was an all-star like six or seven years in a row then he you know he basically had three or four good years then he was like a 300 hitter that hit 20 home runs then he hurt his back and he was not barely he never hit 300 again mm-hmm. and he had a short career I mean, he's not a hall of famer he played like a hall of famer for three or four years but that doesn't make you a hall of famer you know oh, exactly so well great that... defensive player um and all that i understand but he's not a hall of famer Right. Well, and I think in the same way that uh, if you say, oh, he was a great fielder for a while. Well, he wasn't a better fielder than Keith Hernandez, who may have been the best fielding first baseman of all time. And Norm Cash. the first or second best um, fielding first baseman of all time. Hernandez is. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and then uh, Norm Cash, I know a lot of people didn't see him play, but he was an awesome fielder, too. You know, for those people that don't know that. But, uh, I mean, I'm not saying Norm Cash would be in the Hall of Fame, but if we're going to talk about Steve Garvey, and Don Mattingly, and I know this is a modern era here, so Norm doesn't get in there, and he's not alive anyway to argue about it, but um, he would be a guy that I'd talk about. So, yes. now, I and I think uh, if I was looking between the two, Mattingly and Garvey, I think Mattingly had more, like, big-time years than Garvey. Now, Garvey had an MVP. He was a slick fielder, too, but he never had anything monster, he was just on yeah. some really good Dodger teams. And when I look at like all-time war, and I have a printout here of the top 56, Steve Garvey's 52nd. He's on the bottom of the list. I mean, he's got he's got people ahead of him like Harry Davis and Dave Fouts and uh, Mark Grace and Carlos Delgado. You know, Dolph Who Camilli. are good players. Yeah. yeah. Delgado and Grace are a nice play. They're not Hall of Famers. And the same thing with Garvey. He was a really good player. He made several all-star teams. He's mm-hmm. the kind of guy you wanted on your team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would have loved to have him at first base for the Tiger teams that I grew up with, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, there's that line, and he doesn't quite reach it. He never had a super season. You know, he was a guy that hit close to 300 a lot. He'd... He drive in a lot of runs because he played on a good team. You know, he hit you know twenty home runs or more some, most of the time. So yeah, he was a nice player, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer. I mean, two ninety four lifetime hitter. He hit you know he had let's call it twenty six hundred hits. Twenty five hit ninety nine is what he was at. You know, um, you know he didn't hit even three hundred home runs. He it's just and he played nineteen. If he years. played if he played shortstop or second base, he'd be a Hall of Famer. But oh, he yeah. plays first base. That's the other problem. 
Right. You know, there's a difference. You have to look at him compared to other first basemen, and he just falls a little short. Not that he wasn't a great player in his own way, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer. And I think he's more of a Hall of Famer than Mattingly. I mean, and, and also, if Mattingly didn't play for the Yankees and Garvey didn't play most of his career for the Dodgers, would they even be on this list? I don't think so. I really you know? don't. If Garvey yeah. played for the Minnesota Twins and Mattingly played for the Seattle Mariners, are they on this list? No. I don't think so. Mm-mm. You know, I, so yeah. there's that too. You know. Yeah. I, I, so I don't have any problem with them never getting in. Like there's time, like I, there's yeah. times I see a list and I go, man, I know not all these guys are going to get in, but I hope that some of them will someday, that sort of thing. Yeah. Those two, I don't think they ever should. A guy that I, I don't vote for cause I, I think he falls short, but I think he's close is Dale Murphy. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I, he's certainly for about 10 years. Uh, eight or ten years, played like a Hall of Famer. Then he had the back problems, and he was awful. So, right, yeah, the, uh, and the, that's why he's not a Hall of Famer. You know? The problem with Dale Murphy is he did his first half of his career was Hall of Fame level, and mm-hmm. but he didn't have two a, MVPs. Yep, yeah. he did not have a gradual decline. He went from awesome to horrible. I yes. mean, like just batting below two fifty, striking out all the time, just awful i mean just looking like he should be sent to the minors or something um so he didn't and so that really killed his um overall stats and we're talking about an outfielder so that makes a difference you know yes and and, you know speaking of the outfielders we have a couple other ones there and one that we said no on is dave parker now dave parker overall is uh 40th in war for right fielders um which you know you know not mean anything to anybody i looked at parker and my first initial impression was it's like, no, oh, maybe, maybe. Well, and then yeah. I was like, no way. And then I looked and saw, okay, he hit 339 home runs, which isn't quite as much as I would want. He played 19 years. He had 2,719 hits, mm-hmm. but his lifetime batting average of 290 is impressive. Um, yes, it is. Um, and so- he had several all-star caliber seasons. But you know what? Dave Parker is kind of like the right fielder version of Steve Garvey. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was a really good player and a multi-time All-Star. Yeah, he was. But you're comparing him to other right fielders. You know, Mm -hmm. is he? You know, is he Al Kaline? No, I mean Al Kaline is kind of a you know I don't know slightly better than average Hall of Fame right fielder. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And he's more close to somebody like him. He was an excellent defensive player. You know, had a great arm and everything. Um, could hit the long ball. Had but you know seasons and everything but he just falls a little short you know he yeah you know he's a p um yeah but i just, I just think he falls a little short i yeah. think if you start talking about dave parker then you'd have to start talking about rusty stop or somebody like that you know like it, it's kind of like rusty stop had a boy he has a higher war but he played you know a long time just like parker you know he played 23 years and you know, he had like 2,700 hits and, you know, that same sort of idea, you know. Now, Staub was a six-time All-Star and, you know, he was a seven. But it's like, it, to me, it's there, it's just too much on the edge of not, you know, there. The, and the I know average... some listeners are going to be like, hey, but Harold Baines got in. And, and Dave Parker is better than Harold Baines, by the way. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, yes. Um, but, you know, there's mistakes made. So we can't keep making another mistake. I mean, Harold Baines, I, I love the guy. He was a class guy, but he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Right. right. So we Harold, can't put yeah. Dave Parker in because, you know, Harold Baines got in. That doesn't work. You right. Know? Yeah. If we could take a few guys out, he'd be one of the guys we could 
start taking out. There's a few other older ones. I don't. That was a modern mistake I, for Harold Baines. Yes. I mean, I, I love kind of like Bill Mazeroski, you know. Right. So, um, the other outfielder, and he's a right fielder too, is Dwight Evans. And and you and I both say yes. Why do you say yes? Yes. Well, um, one Dwight Evans, um, his war is great. I mean, he was valuable for a long period of time. You know, the first part of his career, he is more of a defensive guy and with a solid offense. The last part of his career, he was still good defensively, and but he was great offensively. And I remember him against the Tigers, but he always seemed like he was getting hits against us. Mm-hmm. So he was a prolific, you know, he was arguably the best right fielder in the American League throughout the 1980s. Yeah, you know, he, you know, hit as many home runs as anybody else did. I think he, did he hit the most no, home runs in the eighties? He hit the, yes, he did. He hit the most home runs out of anybody in the nineteen eighties. He actually yes. had a. He was better offensively in his in his age thirties than he was mm-hmm. when he was younger. And you're right on the war. He's sixteenth all time for right field. I mean, he's you, clearly a Hall of Famer. He just right. I, this got overshadowed by you know Fred Lynn coming up and and Jim Rice and Carl Yastrzemski being there and then Carlton Fisk. You know he was just kind of always the odd man out, but he was the rock on those Red Sox teams from the mid seventies to the later eighties. You know right. he was and he's a class guy too. Mm-hmm. You know anytime you see him. Well, with Dwight so. Evans, there's just a couple things that come to mind. One in the '75 World Series, he was uh, about a year or so older than Lynn and Rice, and of course he played in the '75 Series. Rice had broken his hand and wasn't in there. But out of all the, those three awesome outfielders that they had, he was the one that became the lifelong Red Sox. I mean, he played one final year in Baltimore, but and he wishes he didn't do that and just retired as you know a Red Sox. But he he was that guy. If you look at, he's 16th all-time in war for right fielders, okay? The guys ahead of him are all Hall of Famers except Larry Walker, who's 10th and should be a Hall of Famer, I believe. Shoeless Joe Jackson, who's not allowed to be a Hall of Famer. And then 15th is Tony Gwynn. Comes down to 16, Dwight Evans. I mean, like, he is a Hall of Famer. There's just no yes. other way around it. You know, the guys right below him, like Suzuki, will probably be a Hall of Famer. Sosa, maybe someday, but you never know. Then you get to Winfield, who's in. Um, and then the other guy that's interesting, who's right below him, that probably should be on this list, is Reggie Smith. Um, yes, he should be. Yep. Another guy that should uh, appear on a modern ballot and get some traction, I hope, someday. Because he had, he had a very good... He didn't have as good a career as Dwight Evans. Like, Dwight Evans had 2,400 hits. Um, Reggie Smith was just a little over 2000 and Dwight Evans hit 385 home runs close, closer to 400 where Reggie Smith was like 314, you know, like he had better numbers and he, and Dwight Evans had played three more years, but he was more productive and just considered one of the best, um, you know, right fielders of his era, you know, his throwing arm and he made a great catch in the 75 series and he was just a good, Mm -hmm. good player. Well, when we used to see him play the Red Sox, it seemed like he was always making great catches and great throws all the time. I'm sure, you know, and and players were not on TV all the time at that point, so Mm -hmm. you didn't always see it. The thing about Evans, I think that hurts him, um, other than being overshadowed by people, like, like I mentioned, is that he never had that like super awesome season. You know what I'm saying? Where he was like the MVP, you know, like Jim Rice did, you know, like Jim Rice in 78 or something like that. I mean, that helped Jim Rice eventually get himself in, you know, Mm -hmm. he was just so consistent. And sometimes when you're just that guy that can hit, you know, 275 to 280 and hit 20 plus home runs and drive in close to 100 runs and play gold glove caliber right field for like, you know, 15 plus years. I mean, that's what he did. 
mm-hmm. you know, but he never was like the best hitter in the league that, well, I mean, 1981, he was, he led the league in homers, but it was kind of, you know, the shortened season. People don't really remember it, but he never had that super season where everybody's right. like, man, he's the best, you know, right. which and is why, which is why he was only an all-star three times, um, yeah. which is like, but he epitomizes the idea of long-term excellence. He has right? what Dale Murphy doesn't have. Dale right. Murphy had the great seasons, but he not, he did not have the longevity, and that's why Dale Murphy's not a Hall of Famer, you know. Right. And so. then, um, you know, we look at a couple of the other guys. We talked about Parker. We talked about Murphy. We talked about Garvey and Mattingly, but we need to talk about Tommy John. Yes, I don't even know why he's on here. Honestly, <laughs> I don't. I, I, um, I don't. I, Is it because he, had, you know, Tommy John surgery? Is that why? I mean, I. I, I really don't. I mean, and, and for a guy that played as long as he did, he doesn't have really great pitching numbers. Like, there's some guys that pitch a long time, like Burt Blylevin or somebody or whatever, and uh, or Don Sutton or somebody like that, right, who can mm-hmm. get 300 wins or something. And Yeah, he pitched forever until his mid-40s, and he only won 288 games. He yeah. only won 20 games twice. You know, yeah. when it wasn't that hard to win 20 games, when you get all these starts and be able to pitch into the seventh, eighth inning and get complete games. I mean, nowadays it's hard to win 20 games because you're lucky if you pitch six innings, you know, and you hope people hold on to the lead for you, you know, and, and wins aren't as important anyway. So his only thing you can say is he won 288 games. You know who should be on this and instead of Tommy John? Jim Cott. Okay? Yes. Jim yeah. Cott's a Hall of Famer. So I don't know why the heck Tommy John's on here. I mean, he... I mean, he, he had a good career. He was a nice pitcher. Um, yeah, he came back from the Tommy John surgery and, and pitched a long time after that and pitched effectively. He was a very effective, good pitcher. But you know what? Is he ever ace of anybody's staff? Ever? No, no. I, I just... I, I, just, I mean, on any staff, even yeah. those Dodger staffs and stuff, is he is he the number one guy? Was he winning the, the Cy Young in, in, in 70... I think... Was he out in 74? I think that's the year he ended up um, getting the... Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. Was something for, and he's having a good year and anything. But it was like Andy Messerschmitt or whoever the heck it was out there. Uh, I forget who it was. The guy from Michigan State that won the Cy Young. The oh, Marshall. 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 Mike Marshall. That's right. You know, all those guys. I mean, he was never in the. I don't know if he was ever the best pitcher on his team. And yeah. he's supposed to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. I don't so, know. Uh, so we'll, we'll move past Tommy John. I don't yeah. really think of it. You know, um, let's talk a little bit about Thurman Munson. Now, okay. um, I. My initial thought was, eh, I don't know, you know, I mean, I feel bad. I know he died in the plane crash in 79 and he didn't get to play long enough. But then I started looking at, you know, comparing him to other catchers and Hall of Fame catchers. He's a top 15 catcher. And he's a top 15 catcher. And if you do the War 7, which takes their best seven years, he um, basically, like, you start looking at the top War 7 all time, right? Number one is Gary Carter, Hall of Fame. Two, Johnny mm-hmm. Bench, Hall of Fame. Three, Piazza, Hall of Fame. Four, Rodriguez, Hall of Fame. Five, Joe Maurer, going to be a Hall of Famer. All right. Mm-hmm. Six, Yogi Berra, Hall of Fame. Seven, Carlton Fisk, Hall of Fame. Eight, Thurman Munson. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. and then after that, nine, Buster Posey will be a Hall of Famer. I mean, let's, you know, really. And then you got, after that, 10 is Bill Dickey, Hall of Fame. 11 is Cochran, Hall of Fame. 12 is Campanella, Hall of Fame. I mean, so like he's right. And I know in there. Gene Tennis is on that list too, and he he's should for, be considered. He, yes, he comes yes. right after Campanella. He's yep, fourteen. I know people don't talk about him, but he's a right. Hall of Famer. And then okay. Ted Simmons is fifteenth. Uh, and um, now Ted Simmons, I believe, should be in because one, he, his longevity is there. He has, 
great numbers mm-hmm. as far as um, comparing them to other catchers. The other thing that he did was he did have, I would say, in his own way, monster years for a catcher. Not like Johnny Bench hitting oh, yeah. run years or something. Several. But like Several. He, he has mm-hmm. the uh, most hits ever in a season for a catcher, number one, and the number three season, too. Like he hit almost 200 hits in a season because catchers just don't do that. You know, and he did. He was a great yeah. hitter, a good fielder. Um, he was an all-star a lot. Like, I think he was eight-time all-star, right? He's not as much as some other guys, but he's right there. I mean, and that's the other thing when you talk about Thurman Munson. Would he play 11 years and he was an all-star seven times, you know? And yeah. he was like... He was MVP a, one year, wasn't an he? An MVP and a rock. An MVP. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, when they and, were in the World Series... And turned around the Yankees... Yeah, yes. turned around the Yankees from their doldrums from the late 60s and early 70s, you know. Um, yeah, Thurman Munson, I think if he would, was able to play those last few years, those last three or four years, he probably would have played, um, you know, is a, gets himself as a lock, you know, mm-hmm. I don't understand why he didn't get more traction on the ballot. I, I mean, as I, I a Yankee really and tragic death and that. all that, I, his numbers retired, all that. I mean, how can this Yankee not be in there? I, I just, yeah, that really boggles me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know either, but he's clearly a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I'm not like Mr. Yankee here, but, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, he, yeah. he deserves that. And, and it's good. It, his family wants that, too. You know, I mean, he's not mm-hmm. there to to enjoy it, but I think his family would really appreciate that. And he deserves to be there, you know. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Ted Simmons, the reason he doesn't get the, he didn't get necessarily the traction, I think, is because, you know, he was a little, he was a little bit different cat, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of more of the, um, you know, anti-war kind of guy when he was coming up and you know he grew his hair a little bit long and he kind of pushed some people's buttons the wrong way um some people didn't think he was as good a defensive he didn't have a very strong throwing arm and stuff so they i I think early on they're not looking at the the metrics that closely but when you look at his defensive numbers he's not that far off and he did have a lot of pass balls, okay, and he didn't throw out runners very well, but he was okay defensively. But he was a great offensive catcher. And really, I mean, if you think of the catchers from the 70s and 80s, you got like Fisk. Of course, we got Bench. He's in another league. You got Fisk and Carter and um, Bench and Simmons. I mean, those are, you know, those, and those guys are all in Munson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You would probably throw Gene Tennis in there too, I would And think. Gene Tennis, yes. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I think he's clearly a Hall of Famer. To me, he's almost like number two on here. Um, Lou Whitaker is my number one guy, of course, yeah. but he's like number two yep. on here for me. I would agree. Those are my top two. Like Those are my two that I feel like should be locks if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was looking at the stats on the catchers and looking at catchers who had scored over 1,000 runs in their career, the— um, Top seven guys on, you know, for on the War Seven all did, right? That the, they're all Hall of Famers Carter Bench, Piazza, Rodriguez, Maurer, you know, Barra Fisk. And then you get down to um, Mickey Cochran. He's in the Hall of Fame. Ted Simmons scored 1,074 runs. And then the other two are Buck Ewing, who's in the Hall, and Jason Kendall. <laughs> hmm. Kendall was a nice player. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I have to look at him closer, but he was a nice player. He was a lifetime 288 hitter. Uh, The problem is, um, I think, yeah, no, sorry, 256 hitter. I I looked at the wrong thing. But like Jason Kendall, like, I think he hit like 75 home runs in his career. Yeah, he didn't have any power. You got to have a, you know, catcher is a position where you nowadays expect to have a little pop there. You know, Mm -hmm. not saying you got to hit 40 home runs, but, you know, you got to have a little something there. I would say Um, that if you're over 200 home runs as a catcher, 
but and you play long enough, um, that starts getting you in the conversation nowadays. Um, like if you look at the future Hall of Fame catchers, you know you're going to see a couple guys that'll kind of fit, you know fit into that. I mean, is Jorge Posada a Hall of Famer? I mean, he hit 275 home runs. He was a 273 lifetime hitter. He, um, yeah. you know, his WAR is not very good. But um, the the you know I mean the average WAR for a catcher in the Hall of Fame is 54.3, um, and Posada is 42.8. So he probably isn't there, you know. But Ted Simmons is just below that at 50.3. So, but you know, there's other guys that are there too, like Joe Maurer, and I know he didn't catch you know everything, but like Joe Maurer is a guy that is you know he's got Hall of Fame level stuff, and and Posey is caught a lot, and yeah, yes. in um, his war is 42 right now, um, which isn't, you know, like killing anything. Of course, you know, Roy Campanella had a 37 war. So, you know, whatever, man, you know, I mean, that's why yeah. when you look at like Johnny Bench with a 75 war. Yeah. <laughs> and people like to try to, I mean, and, and I know like, you know, Piazza or even Pudge Rodriguez had in some ways better offensive seasons. If you want to look at certain things that they did. But, you know, playing in the late 60s through the 70s when, you know, offensive numbers were harder to come by. In that yeah, well, period. how about this? You know, Your rookie year, which he was the rookie of the year, and what year? 1968 um, was the year of the pitcher. You know, like, it, it's, just, it's just a different time, you know? Yes. I mean, when you have to face, you know, Bob Gibson, it's a little bit different, okay? So, you know, it, he was... Yeah, I mean, I, I arguing why Bench was awesome is like somebody trying to tell me why the Beatles weren't great. You know, whatever. You know, <laughs> so yes, um, yes. And I guess truth should be told that you know he was my favorite guy growing up. But you know, I mean, there's no reason why he can't be always talked about as the you know the greatest ever if you want to. I mean, yeah, there's guys that might be able to surpass him in certain numbers, but he put it all together like no other for a long mm-hmm. period of time. Um. All right, and then did we talk? Oh, let's Marvin Miller. Why'd you go? I wasn't sure if you what you would think about Marvin Miller, uh, but you picked him. Oh yeah, well you know, um, I I don't see how any Hall of Famer or any player that's on this committee, these sixteen guys, can't vote for Marvin Miller because they don't make the money that they do or do any of the things that they are able to do now without Marvin Miller getting them able to be free agents and make the big bucks like they can, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was so important for that and standing behind the players that were willing to sacrifice things, the Kurt Floods, you know, Mm -hmm. on all those kind of guys. And Ted Simmons. I mean, he held out on a contract too in the early 70s. He's the one that played without a contract. He would like report to spring training without a contract because he was smart. I mean, you know, he's a U of M guy and everything. And Simmons was testing all that stuff too. And that's another reason why – you know, the he didn't get the votes too because he, he ticked off writers, you know. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys that didn't care. Um so Marvin Miller is very important in the history of baseball as far as um the players finally being able to control their destiny and control their their lives and not just be subservient to the whims of the owners with the reserve clause. Yeah. So yeah. he's he should be in there clearly. He should have been there a long time ago. Yeah, I, I've been reading a number of uh, books that uh, get into the cultural aspects of baseball, and Marvin Miller comes up all the time. I mean, it could be something you read something about, I don't know, uh, baseball cards and talking about getting money from baseball cards. Marvin Miller was working on those sorts of things as we moved into the – if you wonder why baseball cards switched to different companies and stuff by the 70s and into the 80s, 
Marvin Miller was kind of behind that because the players were getting ripped off on that. If you talk about just, uh, you know, the, like the, right now I'm, I'm reading um, uh, The Year of the Pitcher, which is a really interesting book. And they were talking about, you know, basically in 66 and 67 is when Miller started taking over uh, and help in doing all those meetings with the players. And they were talking about Jim Campbell, who was the GM of the Tigers and how he wanted some nobody to be the player rep, but it ended up being Bill Freehand. And um, all these players, he would come in and meet with them and they would ask things like, they would say like, well, we want, we don't want, you want the you know owners to like you and stuff like that. And he's like, look, man, I, I, they can respect me and I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but we're on the opposite end of things here. You know, there's going to be things we just disagree with and they're not going to like, and I'm going to go to bat for you. That's what he's doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So he had to kind of educate all of these players while doing all of this and, yeah, and uh, create their union basically right and, and it became and how a they vi- negotiate very yeah. powerful union and um what i wish uh, there's things where he's he's talked about in a lot of books but i've been looking the last half a year or so for like somebody who's written like th- a definitive book about marvin miller and i haven't found it i don't think mm-hmm. anybody has because no, i was like a- i really want to i really want to you know know more about him he changed um, what had been established for like a hundred years you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, in, in professional sports terms, it was like women getting suffrage. OK, I mean, that's yeah. kind of like what he, he was the leader of for them, getting their own rights to uh, to sign with whomever they can and have contracts that are beneficial and and not just be tied to whatever the team wanted them to do. You know, right. Oh, yeah, um, because it's I mean, I know some people might think, oh, they paid so much, but these guys actually had to get second jobs and and really got ripped off a lot because of this just bogus reserve clause that they couldn't get rid of. And it and it finally worked out and it happened and they finally started getting uh, a, their fair share of the profits that these owners were making uh, because of what the the groundwork that Marvin Miller laid. So he he surely should be in the Hall of Fame. I and the only thing that I think can sometimes uh, make people not want that is uh, I don't think the owners would necessarily want to vote for him. Um, and I don't know if the writers necessarily, I mean, they sometimes, when you talk about all the work stoppages and the things that happen, they might kind of think Marvin Miller was a troublemaker or something like that. But the players, I agree with you. If if these are the guys that are voting, they owe him, they're, they're modern era players. They owe him everything as far Mm -hmm. as how it worked out. So yeah, I mean, if you don't vote for him, I don't know what you're thinking. So, um, Yeah, so I hope I hope that works out. the The big three that I want to see are, of course, Whitaker, Simmons, and Miller. And I know that I would I'd be happy to see Evans and Munson in. If they're not in, they're not. You know, I feel bad for them. Um, but those are the three I I would really mm-hmm. I, I just would be like, come on, how can they not be? How can those three not be there? So I'm hoping that that works out. Yes. Um, so it'll be fun. We'll. Um, Keep an eye on that. It's not too long. It's only about a month away until we'll find out. So good Christmas present, hopefully, to see uh, Lou Whitaker again in, I hope. So. Yes, yeah, so, who is definitely mustard-serving. I mean, we didn't really talk about Lou at all here. Um, you know, we can mention him real quickly, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, a lot of traction once Jack Morrison and Alan Trammell got in. And, you know, Lou Whitaker is um, of the 100 highest war, B-wars in uh, the history of baseball. I think he's 78, and he's the only player that's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, that is in that category. Um, you know, he kind of slipped between the cracks in 2001 when he was on, didn't get enough to uh, remain on the ballot. Um, 
you know, he was always kind of a quiet guy. Didn't really have a, a good rapport always with the media and everything. And when he, he lines up very well with, with many of the Hall of Fame second basemen. I think you got some numbers on that, don't you, Kirk? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you start looking at the top war of all time for second basemen, and in the average, a Hall of Fame second baseman is a, a war of a 69.4. Lou Whitaker is seventh all time. Okay. 75. Uh, yeah, 75.1. And um, the other six ahead of him are all in the Hall. And then the two that are seven and eight are Whitaker and Bobby Gritch, who should be in the Hall of Fame. And then below him, number nine is Frankie Frisch. So like, and then after that, Robinson Cano, who's 10 and probably will be in the Hall of Fame. And then 12 and 13 are Sandberg and Alomar who are in there. I mean, he is ranked ahead of Sandberg and Alomar who are in ahead of him. Um, he was a better, he's better than Craig Biggio. And I know Craig Biggio played a long time and had 3,000 hits, but he was not a, in my mind, a second baseman. I mean, yes, he's catching yes. and all that. He's all Playing over the field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, so that sort of thing. Um, Whitaker, you know, he played 19 years. He had 2,369 hits, 244 home runs. I mean, those are, I mean, he was a, you know, um, rookie of the year. He was an all-star, you know, five times. Um, he is, he is just legit. Rock solid, consistent. And again, kind of similar to Evans, never had that superstar MVP kind of year. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, he, he clearly, um, deserves to be in the hall of fame and also just the whole Whitaker trammel, the longest double running double play combination in the history of baseball. Those two should be in the hall of fame together for sure. Yes. Yep. And, um, you know, um, yeah, I look forward to him getting his number retired. Number one at, um, you know, with the tigers at Comerica park. I look forward to them maybe finally coming up with a statue that seems to embody Whitaker and trammel. Um, there are lots of things that, you know, can be fun for a franchise that is rebuilding or whatever we want to call it. Um, having Whitaker get in the hall would really make next year have something to look forward to. <laughs> so. Three Hall of Famers from the uh, 84 Tigers. Yes, right. that would be nice too. Yes. Right. And then you could you can kind of count, I guess, a little bit with, uh, um, you know, uh, Sparky. Well, Sparky, yeah. He's kind of a fourth. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess the only other one that would even be in consideration there might be Lance Parrish, but you know, yeah. that's another conversation. So Yeah. Yep. So good talk. And uh I think we'll probably need to wrap this up since we've been going on for a long time on this. But um it, again, we'd like to encourage people to uh give us their feedback. Who are your top five? Um and um or if you want to only go with three or something, because that's you know, fine, but you can only go up through five, right? And yes, if you, you have cannot. explanations, yep. you know, tell us why. Um, you know, I know we brought up other people's names, but we were trying to stick to the ones that are only possible to be voted on. I mean, yeah, I would like to vote for Keith Hernandez, but it's not there. Or Bobby Gritch, yeah, but, you know, you can't do it right now. Um, but hopefully we'll see them maybe sometime in the yep. future. Leave us, yeah, yeah, leave us a voicemail um, on the Anchor app or anchor.fm, and um, we'd be happy to use it on the show and, and show everybody what you think. All right. So thank you.
Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.